Chapter 15 of Elsie's Womanhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christina Glavis. Elsie's Womanhood by Martha Finley. Chapter 15 Revenge at first, though sweet, bitter ere long back on itself recoils milton's paradise lost at the instant of discharging his revolver jackson felt a sharp stinging pain in his right arm and it dropped useless at his side he hoped he had killed both mr travilla and elsie but an errant crowd and thus disabled did not dare to remain a moment to learn with certainty the effect of his shot, but rushing along the veranda, threw himself over the railing, and sliding down a pillar, by the aid of the one hand, and with no little pain and difficulty, made off with all speed across the lawn. But he was bleeding at so fearful a rate that he found himself compelled to pause long enough to improvise a tourniquet by knotting his handkerchief above the wound, tying it as tightly as he could with the left hand aided by his teeth. He stooped and felt on the ground in the darkness and rain for a stick by means of which to tighten it still more, for the bleeding, though considerably checked, was by no means staunched. But sticks, stones, and every kind of litter had long been banished thence. His fingers came in contact with nothing but the smooth, velvety turf, and with a muttered curse he rose and fled again, for the flashing of lights, the loud ringing of a bell, peal after peal, and sounds of running feet and many voices in high excited tones, told him there was danger of a quick and hot pursuit. Clearing the lawn, he presently struck into a bridle path that led to the woods, here he again paused to search for the much-needed stick, found one suited to his purpose, and by its aid succeeded in decreasing still more the drain upon his life-current, yet could not stop the flow entirely. But sounds of pursuit began to be heard in the distance, and he hastened on again, panting with weakness, pain, and affright. Leaving the path, he plunged deeper into the woods, ran for some distance along the edge of a swamp, and leaping in up to his knees in mud and water, doubled on his track, then turned again, and penetrating farther and farther into the depths of the morass, finally climbed a tree, groaning with the pain the effort cost him, and concealed himself among the branches. His pursuers came up to the spot where he had made his plunge into the water. Here they paused, evidently at fault. He could hear the sound of their footsteps and voices, and judge of their movements by the gleam of the torches many of them carried. Some now took one direction, some another, and he perceived with joy that his stratagem had been at least partially successful. One party, however, soon followed him into the swamp, he could hear Spriggs urging them on and anathematizing him as a scoundrel, robber, burglar, murderer, who ought to be swung up to the nearest tree. 
every thicket was undergoing a thorough search heads were thrown back and torches held high that eager blacks eyes might scan the treetops and jackson began to grow sick with the almost certainty of being taken as several stout negroes drew nearer and nearer his chosen hiding-place he uttered a low breathed imprecation upon his useless right arm and the man whose sure aim had made it so but for you he muttered grinding his teeth i'd sell my life dear but the rain which had slackened for a time again poured down in torrents the torches sputtered and went out and the pursuers turned back in haste to gain the firmer soil where less danger was to be apprehended from alligators panthers and poisonous reptiles the search was kept up for some time longer with no light but an occasional flash from the skies but finally abandoned as we have seen jackson passed several hours most uncomfortably and painfully on his elevated perch quaking with fear of both man and reptile not daring to come down or to sleep in his precarious position or able to do so for the pain of his wound and growing hour by hour weaker from the bleeding which it was impossible to check entirely then his mind was in a state of great disturbance his wound must be dressed and that speedily yet how could it be accomplished without imperiling life and liberty perhaps he had now two new murders on his hands he did not know but he had at least attempted to take life and the story would fly on the wings of the wind such stories always did he had been lurking about the neighborhood for days and had learned that dr bayliss an excellent physician and surgeon lived on a plantation some two or three miles eastward from viamede he must contrive a plausible story and go to him at break of day before the news of the attack on viamede would be likely to reach him it would be a risk but what better could be done he might succeed in quieting the doctor's suspicions and yet make good his escape from the vicinity the storm had spent itself before the break of day and descending from his perch with the first faint rays of light that penetrated the gloomy recesses of the swamp he made his way out of it slowly and toilsomely with weary aching limbs suffering intensely from the gnawings of hunger and thirst the pain of his injury and the fear of being overtaken by the avengers of his innocent victims truly as the bible tells us the way of transgressors is hard the sun was more than an hour high when dr bayliss ready to start upon his morning round and pacing thoughtfully to and fro upon the veranda of his dwelling while waiting for his horse saw a miserable-looking object coming up the avenue a man almost covered from head to foot with blood and mud a white handkerchief also both bloody and muddy knotted around the right arm which hung apparently useless at his side the man reeled as he walked either from intoxication or weakness and fatigue the doctor judged the latter and called to the servant knapp go and help that man into the office 
then hurrying thither himself, got out lint, bandages, instruments, whatever might be needed for the dressing of a wound. With the assistance of Knapp's strong arm, the man tottered in, then sank, half-fainting, into a chair. "'A glass of wine, Knapp, quick!' cried the doctor, sprinkling some water in his patient's face, and applying ammonia to his nostrils. He revived sufficiently to swallow with eager avidity the wine Knapp held to his lips. "'Food, for the love of God!' he gasped. "'I'm starving!' "'Bread, meat, coffee, anything that is on the table, Knapp,' said his master. "'And don't let the grass grow under your feet.' Then to the stranger, and taking gentle hold of the wounded limb, "'But you need this flow of blood staunched more than anything else. "'You came to me for surgical aid, of course. "'Pistol shot wound, eh? And a bad one at that. "'Yes, I... never mind. "'I'll hear your story after your arm's dressed and you've had your breakfast.' You haven't strength for talk just now. Dr. Bayliss had his own suspicions as he ripped up the coat sleeve, bared the swollen limb, and carefully dressed the wound, but kept them to himself. The stranger's clothes, though much soiled and torn in several places by contact with thorns and briars, were of good material, fashionable cut, and not old or worn. His manners were gentlemanly, and his speech was that of an educated man. But all this was no proof that he was not a villain. "'Is that mortification?' asked the sufferer, looking ruefully at the black, swollen hand and forearm, and wincing under the doctor's touch as he took up the artery and tied it. "'No, no, only the stagnation of the blood. Will the limb ever be good for anything again?' Oh, yes. Neither the bone nor nerve has suffered injury. The ball has glanced from the bone, passed under the nerve, and cut the humeral artery. Your tourniquet has saved you from bleeding to death. Tis well you knew enough to apply it. The flesh is much torn where the ball passed out, but that will heal in time. The doctor's task was done. Knapp had set a plate of food within reach of the stranger's left hand, and he was devouring it like a hungry wolf. "'Now, sir,' said the good doctor, when the meal was finished, "'I should like to hear how you came by that ugly wound. I can't deny that things look suspicious. I know everybody, high and low, rich and poor, for miles in every direction, and so need no proof that you do not belong to the neighborhood.' "'No,' A party of us from New Orleans last came out to visit this beautiful region. We were roaming through a forest yesterday, looking for game, when I somehow got separated from the rest, lost my way. Darkness came on, and wandering hither and thither, in the vain effort to find my comrades, tumbling over logs and fallen trees, scratched and torn by brambles, almost eaten up by mosquitoes, I thought I was having a dreadful time of it, but worse was to come, for I presently found myself in a swamp up to my knees in mud and water, and in the pitchy darkness, tumbling over another fallen tree, struck my revolver, which I had foolishly been carrying in my coat pocket. They went off and shot me in the arm, as you see. That must have been early in the night, 
and what with loss of blood, pain, fatigue, and long fasting, I had but little strength when daylight came, and I could see to get out of swamp and woods, and come on here. The doctor listened in silence, his face telling nothing of his thoughts. A bad business, he said, rising and beginning to draw on his gloves. You are not fit to travel, but are welcome to stay here for the present. Had better lie down on the sofa there and take a nap while I am away visiting my patients. Nap. Clean the mud and blood from the gentleman's clothes. Take his boots out and clean them, too, and see that he doesn't want for attention while I am gone. Good morning, sir. Make yourself at home. And the doctor walked out, giving Nap a slight sign to follow him. Nap, he said, when they were out of earshot of the stranger. Watch that man and keep him here if possible till I come back. Yes, sir. Nap went back into the office while the doctor mounted and rode away. Humph, he said half aloud as he cantered briskly along. Took me for a fool, did he? Thought I couldn't tell where the shot went in and where it came out, or where it would go in or out if caused in that way. No, sir, you never gave yourself that wound, but the question is who did, and what for? Have you been housebreaking or some other mischief? Dr. Bayliss was traveling in the direction of Viamede, intending to call there too, but having several patients to visit on the way, did not arrive until the late breakfast of its master and mistress was over. They were seated together on the veranda, her hand in his, the other arm thrown lightly about her waist, talking earnestly and so engrossed with each other and the subject of their conversation that they did not at first observe the doctor's approach. Uncle Joe was at work on the lawn, clearing away the leaves and twigs blown down by the storm. "'Morning, Master Doctor. Did you hear the news, sir?' he said, pulling off his hat and making a profound obeisance as he stepped forward to take the visitor's horse. "'No, Uncle, what is it?' burglar sir burglar broke in the house last night and fire he revolver at massa and miss elsie miss them though and got shot hisself possible cried the doctor in great excitement springing from the saddle and hurrying up the steps of the veranda ah doctor good morning glad to see you sir said mr travilla rising to give the physician a hearty shake of the hand "'Thank you, sir. How are you after your fright? "'Miss Travilla, you are looking a little pale, and no wonder. "'Uncle Joe tells me you had a visit from a burglar last night?' "'A murderer, sir, one whose object was to take my husband's life.' "'Elsie answered with a shudder, and in low, tremulous tones, "'leaning on Edward's arm, and gazing into his face "'with eyes swimming with tears of love and gratitude.' "'My wife's also, I fear,' Mr. Travilla said with emotion, fondly stroking her sunny hair. "'Indeed! Why, this is worse and worse. But he did not succeed in wounding either of you?' "'No. His ball passed over our heads, grazing mine so closely as to cut off a lock of my hair. But I wounded him. Must have cut an artery, I think, 
from the bloody trail he left behind him. An artery? cried the doctor, growing more and more excited. Where? Do you know where your ball struck? A flash of lightning showed us to each other, and we fired simultaneously, I aiming for his right arm. I do not often miss my aim. We heard his revolver fall to the floor, and he fled instantly, leaving it and a trail of blood before him. You had him pursued promptly, of course? Yes, but they did not find him. I expected to see them return with his corpse, thinking he must bleed to death in a very short time, but I presume he had an accomplice who was able to staunch the flow of blood and carry him away. No, I don't think he had, and if I'm not greatly mistaken, I dressed his wound in my office this morning and left him there in charge of my boy Nap, bidding him keep the fellow there if possible till I came back. I'd better return at once, lest he should make his escape. Do you know the man, and can you describe him? I do, I can, replied Mr. Travilla. But, my little wife, how you are trembling! Sit down here, dearest, and lean on me, leading her to a sofa. And, doctor, take that chair. The man's name is Tom Jackson. He is a noted gambler and forger, has been convicted of manslaughter and other crimes, sent to the penitentiary and pardoned out. He hates me because I have exposed his evil deeds and prevented the carrying out of some of his wicked designs. He has before this threatened both our lives. He is about your height and build, doctor, can assume the manners and speech of a gentleman has dark hair, eyes, and whiskers, regular features, and but for a sinister look would be very handsome. It's he and no mistake, cried Dr. Bayliss, rising in haste. I must hurry home and prevent his escape. Why, it's really dangerous to have him at large. If he wasn't so disabled, I'd tremble for the lives of my wife and children. He trumped up a story to tell me had his revolver in his coat pocket, set it off in tumbling over a log in the dark, and so shot himself. Of course I knew twas a lie, because in that case the ball would have entered from below, at the back of the arm, and come out above, while the reverse was the case. But how could you tell where it entered or where it passed out, doctor? inquired Elsie. How, Miss Travilla? Why, where it goes in, it makes merely a small hole. You see nothing but a blue mark, but a much larger opening in passing out, often tearing the flesh a good deal, as in this case. Ah, either he was a fool or thought I was. But good-bye. I shall gallop home as fast as possible and send back word whether I find him there or not. Don't take the trouble, doctor, said Mr. Travilla. We will mount and follow you at once, to identify him if he is to be found. Shall we not, wife? If you say so, Edward, and are quite sure he cannot harm you now? No danger, Miss Travilla, cried the doctor, looking back as he rode off. End of chapter 15 Recording by Christina Glavis